Magazines and Monsters, Episode 21, Dark Night of the Scarecrow. Hello, everyone. It's your old pal, PJ Frightful. You probably haven't heard from me since last Halloween. Been spending my time getting my appropriately haunted house in order and stalking that treacherous snake, Ryan Daly. With the great holiday once again upon us, I've tracked Ryan and his friends, Herman and Billy D, to a creepy cornfield. Maybe I'll give them a little spook while they're there. It is Halloween, after all. What better time and place for a scarecrow? <laughs> Tonight, on the CBS Saturday Night Movies, this gentleman saved this little girl's life, but they accused him of harming her. Do this ourselves. And he was tragically murdered. Now, one by one, the men of this town are dying. Who is his avenger? Is it the dead man's grief-stricken mother? They killed my boy! The little girl who loved him. I know what you did to Bubba. Or could it be the Scarecrow? Night of the Scarecrow, coming up next. Hey everybody, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange, back with another recording here on Magazines and Monsters. And uh, we're right in the middle of the Halloween season, so this is going to be a fun one. Uh, it's a cool movie I saw when I was a kid, scared the living crap out of me. Uh, I think it still holds up, doesn't really scare me a whole lot right now, at, you know, 40, almost 7 years old. But it's still a pretty good movie, fun movie to watch, and I couldn't do this one without two guests uh i have my uh brother from another mother herman Lowe, alongside here how are you herman hey billy yeah man dude i'm always ready to talk some horror and this being this scary season um i've you know can't wait to get into this movie particularly like you say you've watched it in your childhood you know mm -hmm. and uh, it was a childhood favorite of mine as well so uh definitely uh, jonesing to talk about it Mm -hmm. So thanks. Thanks for having me back on Magazines and Monsters. Yep, absolutely. And then my other guest is a pillar of the Fire and Water podcast network and, you know, the host of Nightcast and Cheerscast and just about every other cast you can think of over the last few years. Uh, Mr. Ryan Daly. How are you, Ryan? How are you guys? Happy Halloween to both of you. <laughs> thank you, sir. Happy thank Halloween, you, thank man. You. Thanks. <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, why don't we get this kicked off here? So, Ryan, um, what is, uh, you know, uh, your uh, definite uh, intro for this film? I think you may have seen this one quite a long time ago, just like I did, correct? I did, um, and I don't know if you've even mentioned the title yet. Should I? Can I give it away for the listeners? Yes, do it, do it. <laughs> uh, we are talking about a beloved film for all three of us, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Uh, and as I have learned recently from 
typing that into many uh, IMDB and other Google search engines, mm-hmm. my body is now trained to type dar- Dark Knight with a K because of <laughs> everything, everything else in the world. So, but no, Dark Knight, as in night of, time of day, of the Scarecrow. And this is the 40th anniversary. This was a TV movie that mm-hmm. came out in 1981. Um, fun fact, I also came out in 1981. So this <laughs> movie uh, is just maybe two or three weeks younger than me uh i think um mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah this was uh this was a thing and I've, I've told this story on a couple different places but uh for your listeners maybe for the first time mm-hmm. uh halloween was huge for my family particularly for me and my brother um as much if not probably more so more celebrated than christmas i mean christmas for a kid with all the accoutrement you know you got to love the presents the decorations and everything but we just loved halloween so much we loved the the spooky atmosphere the dressing up like costumes the going out at night after the after it was dark with your friends demanding candy of all things from total strangers um there was just something i've always like it just felt like in you had the one night's permission to be rebellious to do Mm -hmm. something that seemed i don't want to say i don't want to say sinful because i don't want to put it into necessarily a religious context but you know just kind of like going against popular tradition kind of being anti-authority you know, mm-hmm. just breaking the rules, and it was sanctioned. You could go out. And, <laughs> this is what your parents wanted you to do. Um, so I just loved it. Loved that feeling. Loved dressing up like co- uh, costumes. We always, we never did store bought. We always like my mom would sew something, or we would just combine things. So one year I was Dracula. One year I was a pirate. Mm. One year I was a mummy. One year I was the Phantom of the Opera. Uh, Joker two or three times. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, lots of costumes <laughs> like that. But Every Halloween after, you know, my brother, who was a few years older than he would go out and party with his friends and I would go out trick or treating with my friends. And then we would go home. I would come home. I would divvy up the candy. And then that was the one night where we were allowed to stay up late. I say I because, you know, being old enough to he, he had no problem, but I could stay up way later than normal and watch scary movies with him and mm. sometimes my mom, too. Um, and these were, you know, scary movies on television. So they were, you know, edited for television, but like, this was the first time I saw Halloween two and mm. American werewolf in London. And now we're, we're, we're mm. I'm thinking like, this is like mid, mid eighties, mid to late eighties, uh, getting into it. But these were the televised movies that we were watching and they were scary and I, I loved them. And one of them that I just remember that like, I, it went down the rabbit hole for a long time. And then I just, I remembered it about 10 years ago was this movie. I was like, yeah, there was this movie about a scarecrow that came back from the dead to like this <laughs> vengeance because it was like <laughs> murdered for a crime. It didn't commit. And like, there was like this, uh, so, well, yeah, we'll get into the story and kind of explain it. But yeah, this was just like this movie that I just remember being creepy and having all kinds of interesting death scenes and just kind of like mm-hmm. this sort of like righteous vengeance from beyond the grave um so yeah this was just oh yeah this this one brings me back to my childhood very much so i have this this nostalgic love for it but as you said i think it holds up in a lot of ways yeah i i absolutely think it does too uh herm what do you got what's going on with you with your history with this yeah story? no well, since, you know, I'm from South Africa, much different from you guys. We never had Halloween. I always looked at movies depicting, you know, Halloween, you know, nights uh, with longing 
in my heart that I could do something like that because, <laughs> you know, I love the horror scene. So I wanted to dress up as horror characters. It just wasn't a thing. In fact, you, you probably would have been labeled, you know, like uh, a budding young Satanist or something in my small town <laughs> if you even put a pair of plastic fangs in your mouth. It was that bad, you know, so horror was something to be avoided. Uh, but but yet it was available in the video stores of the at the time, you know, so it was not completely disliked by the greater community. I think it's just like something you don't display, you know, then then they look at you funny, you know, in church on Sunday. <laughs> they know that you, they saw you in the video store aisle renting a horror movie. But uh, one thing I remember about this movie that we also saw it on TV, mid 80s, somewhere around 1986 or 1987. And uh, late night, obviously, they screened it after 10 o'clock at night when they did the horror movies on on the various channels we had. And I remember asking my friends about it the next day distinctly. I said, did you see this fantastic movie? You know, the next day, I think it was at school or we were at a rugby meet. I can't remember, but it must not have been at school because um, they only screened the horror movies on a Friday night and a Saturday night, I think. So it could have been like at some kind of a school meet the next day uh, over the weekend. And um, mm -hmm. I remember asking them, though. And they all said, yeah, we tried it. It it sucks. It's it's horrible. It's just so stupid. Because at that point in time, they were used to, they, they didn't like atmospheric horror. They liked stuff like Nightmare on Elm Street, mm -hmm. Halloween, like you mentioned, Ryan. And, and that was a big thing in South Africa. The Halloween franchise was just like, it, it eclipsed all other things in terms of popularity among my, my group of friends. And so they were horror nuts, but they just didn't like this kind of horror. And I thought this was incredibly creepy because we were from a small town. We were watching stuff in a small town. There were scarecrows on the outskirts. Um, and uh, I thought this was very close to home. I, it scared me, uh, but in a good way, you know, uh, in mm -hmm. that kind of way where you think it could happen. Not that we had vigilante justice or lynch mobs or anything, but, you know, uh, we did definitely had. I mean, there was a center near our house for uh, mentally challenged people. It was called the Connie Mulder Centrum for the mentally handicapped, you know, so we sometimes saw them walking in the town and um, You know as a little kid they didn't scare me, but um, The other folks they didn't cotton to them They kind of treated them badly and they avoided them and all of that kind of thing, you know, so it's, it's, it's it was quite bad You know, so I felt for for uh, Bubba, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I of course we firmly maintain Bubba didn't do it <laughs> but my friends were all <laughs> Who cares if he didn't or who cares if he did? <laughs> I don't care about this movie. Oh, <laughs> so when I mentioned off mic, I've been waiting to talk to you guys or to someone about this movie for 25 years. It's it's true because, you know, I couldn't talk to them back then about it and, and how how good it is. And now finally I met two guys who also <laughs> you know, think that it's great. And that's that's basically my history uh, with this film. And I could never find it afterwards again. I only saw it once as a child. And then um, I'm ashamed to say when I came to Taiwan 20 years ago, pirating was a big was a big thing. So I bought, you know, some bootlegged uh, V CDs and one mm -hmm. of them was Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Yeah. And I remember my, my wife at the time, her English was still developing. So she said, so, so isn't this like an, an oxymoron? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the, 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 the name Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, because in Chinese you would not always say dark night unless you're talking about batman of course like ryan said right <laughs> yeah because night means dark <laughs> so he's like why 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 call this dark night so i'm like yeah i guess it is i mean sort of <laughs> <laughs> so i've got some memories like two particular memories associated with this film when i was a kid nobody wanted to talk about it 
and of course my wife and I then picking up a bootleg copy over here in Taiwan. So yeah, it's been with me ever since. Yeah, yeah. so great movie. Yeah, this one came out on I think October twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one, and I it must have been re aired a couple years later because there's no way at six years old my mom was letting me watch this, and I know she was like, yeah, go ahead and watch it. So it must have came out a couple years later again, like a re air or something like that because. That I was not seeing this at six. She would have been like, "What is this?" Like she would have, you know, flipped out <laughs> if she saw me watching this at six. But yeah, I mean, this one was uh, originally uh, as the writer uh, wanted it to be a you know a feature film, but it was bought by CBS and aired on CBS. Uh, J.D. Fiegelson, Feigelson, something like that. Yeah, he was the writer Fiegelson. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was directed by Frank D. Felita, you know, and that's a guy that uh, he. Uh, I think he wrote Audrey Rose, correct? I'm, I'm... Yeah, yeah. He was a famous writer at the time and tried mm -hmm. his hand at directing. But, you know, um, is it fair to say that Fiegelson created the whole killer scarecrow subgenre? I don't think so. I mean, we got to go back to the 70s Marvel, Dead of Night, right, Billy? The oh, scarecrow, yeah. right, Ryan? You know, that character. <laughs> he was probably reading Marvel horror comics. Again, comics be. as the creative source here. And nobody credits, uh, gives them credit for that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think kind of like the point though is when you watch it i think the director being a writer shows in mm. the pacing and the structure and and kind of like the way the narrative is doled out and and i would have said i mean like just like the, the certain elements of the character and the way things play out like if you had told me that this was based on a Stephen King novella that he wrote in the in the 70s, like from Night Shift or something like that, I would have bought it because I definitely think mm. there's some Stephen King DNA in this script and the way it plays out uh, and and the type of the way the fear is sort of sets up a, a sense of dread in the beginning that builds and, and kind of hits these characters and the way the stakes ramp up as the characters, their psychological horror is ramped up and, and leads to greater and greater effect over time. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point, Ryan. Yeah, it definitely feels like a King novel where he builds up the characters in the beginning and then it, it, it heads towards something and then picks up speed later on. Um, and, you know, King is great at writing, you know, small town horror. You know, he gets into the minds of these uh, of kids, firstly and foremost, I guess that that's what he's best, best at. But also these mm -hmm. real assholes, <laughs> these real, you know, <laughs> bigoted, racist, southern. Mm. I'm not not that all people are like that. I'm but this movie set in the south and uh -huh. uh, King writes them really well because um, it's almost as if he's lived those lives in his dreams and uh, he can put them himself in the shoes of a racist or in the shoes of someone truly evil and how they would act towards. I mean, we got this in Dreamcatcher, you know, where we had uh, Duddits, uh, one of Stephen King's more recent novels, Dreamcatcher, where there was a mentally handicapped man. And um, I was wondering, how can King write those bullies who torment this guy so well? <laughs> so he's obviously... Mm -hmm. You know, he's just good at that. He, he's good at putting him in, in, in himself in many roles. So um, mm -hmm. this definitely feels like a King property, like Ryan said. Yeah. Mm, and, yeah. Um, you know, another thing that I should mention, though, is um, where it, it might be a little bit different. When I was a kid, I felt even in a King novel, whenever there was righteous justice that you that, that the story was gearing towards, um, like, you know, maybe in something like Christine, no, the mm. novel Christine, where you feel like, okay, the only people who are going to get it are the bad, the bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even then, you know, I, 
I was scared for the the good guys too. I felt like this 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 evil, this vengeance was malevolent and it could affect everybody. And when I was a kid, I felt like this about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. But then rewatching it as an adult, I realized that this the the scary part actually, you know, um, it 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 doesn't become as scary because now you realize he's only out to kill, you know, the 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 murderers. So he's oh, not okay. there to uh, maybe you know hurt the little girl or anybody mm -hmm. else, you know, along the way. So uh, that sort of took away some of the scary bits. But you know, when my wife watched it, she was still freaked out because she <laughs> it's just the image of the scarecrow is so terrifying, and then you not seeing the scarecrow until the very end, or or at least not seeing him move. I mean, he, he pops right. up in fields sometimes, which we'll get into, but that, that mm -hmm. part is very scary too. So that shows maybe, um, you know, that the director really tried his hand at some Hitchcock-like, you know, mm -hmm. um, ideas, uh, sh basically um, telling but not showing until you need to do it. That's not always a good thing, but in this case, it was very good because your imagination is set free Mm -hmm. To imagine all kinds of, of horrible things. And even then, you don't really know if it's all in their minds or not. Because, you know, it's conceivable that something could have happened, you know, that might just have been an accident. Of course, mm -hmm. it's a stretch. We know it's not. But, you know, it's not shown to be the actual scarecrow. Yeah. And um, that's effective. But but less effective when I realized that this is firmly just, you know, it's kind of like a girl with her pet monster sort of story uh, <laughs> at the very end. You know, and but but still fantastic uh, effect on a kid <laughs> i think when i was young this this was definitely freaky yeah and a quick aside too uh, speaking of stephen king uh herman you were just a guest on kingology a stephen king podcast were you not oh yeah and um <laughs> we're recording the second well we're doing three parts because we're doing nightmares and dreamscapes yeah so mm -hmm. you know the, yeah so it's good that ryan that you brought it up because i was not going to bring it up uh, for some reason, I should have, you know, that this is such a, a king-like, mm -hmm. you know, story. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, um, yeah, I've got all this king in my head again after rereading <laughs> my Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you guys want, you know, you magazines and monsters folk out there, check out uh, Mark Kane's mm -hmm. Kingology on the United Nations of Horror Network, right, Billy? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, no, I mean, we're all king fans. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's also why this would appeal to us, right, Ryan? I mean, you and I have spoken at length about Stephen King. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I wanted to ask you, though, is uh, the reason why we all got together to talk Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is somehow during a previous recording where you and I did Tomb of Dracula, Ryan, we brought up this movie. Now, I cannot remember how this came. Like, how did we bring up this movie? Can you remember that? I haven't gone back to, to listen, but. I, I imagine about. it was probably you were asking me about my background in horror, and I probably told oh, a similar I think story so. about yep. thinking about Halloween and like the horror movies that I watched as a kid, and I probably mentioned this one. Mm -hmm. um, All right, so it had that big of an effect on you that it was one of the seminal horror movies mm -hmm. of your youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, been. this is always one that, uh, and I, I, gosh, could I even. I, I wrote an entry on somebody's blog once, not too, like a, 10 years ago or something, just asking about like favorite horror movies or Halloween memories. And this was always like, I, I kind of, I tell the same story again and again and again, but this is one of those movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. Okay. That, I should have known that because I was trying to think, how did it tie in with the Tomb of Dracula issues we did? It wasn't <laughs> a scarecrow. There were small towns, but nothing to, to, to this, um, you know, to speak to this Well, there was uh, story. that 
blade got stuck in the in the grain silo and almost got buried alive. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, man. right. That, that might have been <laughs> oh, oh man, that's great. Yep. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. What yeah, about, uh, go ahead, yeah. why don't you take a quick look at the cast here, all right? So we already mentioned some of them. Uh, so two of the main characters here, uh, we have Bubba Ritter, played by Larry Drake, you know, uh, Dark Man and some other crazy films. He's he's pretty good in this one. He does a real, really good job. I think he always does in crazy films like this. He gets some really wild parts, right? Yeah, I well, mean... It, well, he would also, after this, he would play a... a a, a similar type character on L.A. Law, I think. Yes. Yeah. LA yep. Law. yeah. Like, and that was kind of like where I remembered him. So I remember the first time I saw Darkman and I was like, that guy? Ew, what's, what's uh? he's, he's up? <laughs> like, I think that one and then Dr. Giggles. And I, like, I just had this. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait a minute. No, this is the this is the, the slow guy. This is Bubba. Or the, like the, uh, I didn't like the fact that they were taking this this very innocent type of character and making him this monstrous figure in these other ones. Yeah, yeah. he probably chose to do that because he didn't want to be typecast because uh, the guy is very intelligent. He just has the look of someone who plays these type of uh, roles well, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, I was also surprised, Ryan, just like you. Billy, you're probably the same when Dark Man <laughs> came. Because Dark Man <laughs> yeah. came around, what, 1990? L.A. Law had already been running for a couple of years, I think, and it yeah. was a big thing in South Africa. And then, of course, I'd seen Dark Knight of the Scarecrow in the 80s. So when Dark Man came around, I was, no, no way. This is completely wrong. <laughs> This is the universe, you know, being twisted here. This is like, you know, uh, the feeling you get when you read a comic book and, uh, you know, uh, Superman does not choose to use his super speed where he could have easily, <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, what just happened to my reality? <laughs> you know, or um, I really thought this is not right. But then, you know, he did a, a very good job as the, the villain in Darkman. I, I found him to be sinister mm -hmm. and uh, eloquent, in, in fact. But yeah. Um, yeah, so great casting. I think that's what also one of the reasons why this movie works so well. The fantastic cast. So so let's go through the rest, right, Billy? Oh, yeah. Next up would be the other main character, Charles Durning. And he mm -hmm. plays Otis Hazelrig, a uh, <clears throat> postal employee. We'll get into his uh, creepy nature in this film. But he does. <laughs> Whoa. Char Charles Durning does a great job in this uh, film, too, being a, a creepy disgusting bigoted character <laughs> oh possible pedophile as well and which i oh, realized yeah. later in life like when i was a kid i didn't get this vibe off of him at all but um me, me neither re-watching the movie uh you know i definitely saw because i mean even baba's mom accuses him of that so that might have been the driving force for his hatred for baba as well the mm -hmm. fact that this little girl you know preferred to spend time with baba mm -hmm. so yeah that that disturbed me when i finally you know realized that yeah, and Bubba has uh, three uh, lackeys, uh, uh, Skeeter Norris, played by Robert Lyons, and then Philby is played by Claude Earl Jones, and uh, Harless Hawker is played by Lane Smith. Uh, so those three guys, they were all pretty good, too. You know, there's uh, they each have their own distinct personalities and things about them, and uh, they're they're <laughs> part of some really gruesome scenes in this movie, which, you know, again, it's a TV movie, so you don't necessarily see it, but you know some gruesome happens. And oh, comic yeah. fans will remember Lane Smith as Perry White from Lois and Clark, but yeah. also as the the uh, prosecuting attorney, the DA in My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I was I was thinking that like in the whenever I hear somebody say the word identical, I clap my hands and go identical. <laughs> delivery when he's cross examining a witness on this. Oh, brilliant! Funny. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, or when somebody says something about a, a younger person, a youth, I, I always think, a youth? Yep. 
<laughs> oh man and then uh like uh, herman you had mentioned a little girl mary lee williams and she's played by tanya crow uh you know bubba's uh best friend it would seem here um she uh has a, a good part in this film and and then yeah uh, i don't uh, think she's got she had a, a, a lot of roles after this i mean she showed up in some tv series but i think she transitioned later in life and became a writer so now mm-hmm. she's doing some indie films yeah but yeah she yeah she was very i don't know she um when i was a little kid uh i sort of uh, saw you know many girls looking like this so this was that's that's what made it real to me you know she was like the every girl in a small town mm-hmm. um you know we had we had girls almost looking exactly like that freckled ponytails <laughs> wearing dresses but playing in fields yeah so <laughs> it worked yeah mm-hmm. so good on her and then uh, Bubba's mother, Mrs. Ritter, was played by Jocelyn Brando. And yes, yeah, she's this, it's a Marlon Brando. Guy, this is Marlon Brando's older sister. I mean, I only learned this years after the fact. Can you guys believe this? It's crazy. <laughs> this was, this and, was one of her final uh, appearances, too. She stopped acting a few years after this. and she yeah. and She lived until the early 2000s, but this was one of the last things she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And she, and you know, once you know she's Brando's sister, she starts looking like Brando in his old <laughs> age, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, a little really. bit. Wow. I mean, she doesn't have his eyes, but she def- definitely has his jaw, and mm-hmm. and you can see the family resemblance there. And then you know, you go into places like IDB and you do some more research, and you see some photos of them when they were young together, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, they're twins, cut from the same cloth, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But yeah, so that this this. Blew me away when I when I learned that Marlon Brando's older sister was an actress as well. Yeah, it's crazy. But all right, so we'll get into it here a little bit, and we will try to answer the question of what is creepier: a murderous, apparently murderous scarecrow, a Doberman frothing at the mouth with giant teeth, or a postman. You know, we'll, <laughs> we'll try to we'll, we'll try to answer that yeah. question here. I don't know if we're gonna be able to do it, but we'll try. <laughs> definitely oh that's a good one billy yeah those three mm-hmm. things definitely that, that's gone. the core of the mm-hmm. horror yeah so this one starts out like we said you know with this little girl uh mary lee and uh this uh mentally disabled man uh, bubba ritter out in a field playing right you know and then uh, we see uh, someone watching them with a pair of binoculars <laughs> yeah Ugh, mm. that's that's so he's a it's a bit of a voyeur, um, and uh, he's definitely, you, you realize straight off that he hates uh, Bubba. And this is, of course, Otis Hazelrig, the postman, mm-hmm. uh, not minding his own business, uh, keeping an eye on, on Mary Lee, probably, the little girl. Mm. But, you know, definitely also hating Bubba for always being around her. You Which know, so. I, I think, and I'm curious to see how you guys, if you guys think it's effective or not. Because I, I definitely think, at first, his hatred seems really irrational strong and yeah irrational it's like like when he's talking later when he's talking to hawker or harless um and he he says he's like he's a blight or something like that it's like yeah where is this hatred coming from like why like i was like okay we obviously we need this guy to be the antagonist and we need to hate this guy it's like but this just seems really weird and later much later when you hear um Bubba's mom's accusation against him and you start to see how he kind of unravels when he's around the girl it's like okay he was projecting Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. own self-loathing onto Bubba and that was really kind of driving Mm -hmm. this whole hatred I was like okay was that handled appropriately or was that underdeveloped because it's certainly informed but like did we need that information earlier in order to understand 
why he was so quick to kill this guy or I don't know. I, I'm, yeah. I was a little bit, I wasn't sure if that, like the, the whole pedophilia angle coming in and informing his motivation and maybe just because of the time, the early eighties that they didn't yeah. think they could hang a lamp, a lamp on television. On, yeah. For yeah. a TV movie. Yeah. You're right. Around, so I'm like, okay. Um, they either needed to make that more obvious or drop it, I, I think. But I don't know. I, I kind of, by the end of it, I was like, all right. I think Durning's performance in the second half is so strong yeah. that it is an interesting element in understanding his character. Um, mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. something that I think King would have played with and, and done, like to, to, to see this character unraveling that way but uh but we're jumping the yeah. gun and i'm taking over the <laughs> getting back to the, the synopsis so <laughs> no but you're right i don't think it was uh, just to quickly interject i don't think mm -hmm. it uh, was explored to its fullest extent probably because it's a tv movie but also because yeah. the, you know the creators or the directors probably pulled back from it once they realized where it was going mm -hmm. and so they made it just as if he hated you know um mentally challenged people you know some people do you know they they um just be anything other, anything different, anything that doesn't fit in with the community. Some people, they really hate that. But this guy is like, like we mentioned, he's completely over the top. He's irrational. Hazel Rick, right. uh, because he goes it, to extremes. You could understand it coming if he was just a bully, if he just like bullied this guy on a regular daily basis. But this guy is a postman, but he lives in um, like kind of uh, like a, uh, I can't a think boarding of house, like a boarding, boarding house. house. With this woman, they mentioned earlier like that he doesn't drink, so he's like really kind of like in, like has some control issues, and it's it just seemed like kind of like pathetic and clinging to like the sense of authority and everything. So yeah, he's he's a very fascinating character and a fascinating villain, um, but it just seems initially this hatred just seems to kind of like cloud over that because um, we don't yeah. get where it's coming from right away. Yeah, it's almost mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like you would never have a, a character like this in real life being this, you know, irrational. But um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, Ryan. Yeah, we'll we'll get more into this as his character develops. But yeah, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then Billy, what happens after the the field scene where we get to meet basically the three most important characters of the of the movie? We we meet them right in the in the first scene, right? <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, Bubba and uh, Mary Lee are playing in the fields and then they go like, you know, walking home. But uh, Mary Lee kind of looks into this one uh, yard and sees, oh, there's some, you know, statues and stuff in this yard. And she moves one of the boards. Yeah, sees a fountain. Yeah. And then moves one of the boards aside to the fence and goes in. And Bubba's like, no, I'm not going in there. I'll get in trouble. And she goes in and she's looking around and then gets attacked by this scary ass looking dog, man. Oof. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that, now God. isn't that a childhood fear? I mean, I yeah. was when I was a kid, I was attacked by a dog. I I cannot remember what dog it was, but it was a a dog that was at least twice as big as I was when I was a little kid. Um, and but you know, uh, it wasn't as bad as I made it sound. You know, I don't have any scars to show for it. I just had, I was just in a state of shock afterwards. You know, mm -hmm. so um, this is a fear I think that a lot of kids have. And the mm. fact that this happens and they don't show it graphically, this is even scarier because you're left mm. thinking this girl has been mauled to death. And they they allow you to think that for, what, a good 20 minutes yeah. into the movie. So right off the bat, we've got this childhood fear that a lot of kids have. Yeah, and I'm not you know, old because we grow up around dogs. But, yeah, it's a it's a problem. 
And, and you know what's funny? Because I I had an experience with a Doberman Pinscher, actually. Oh, like, my God. Uh, we were, we were visiting my uncle in Florida, and he had this dog that he had just he had just gotten recently, which apparently earlier in its life had been like a guard dog on like uh, like on the docks or like a freight yard or something like that, and had been abused mm. or injured or something. And Oof. he didn't know the history. I didn't certainly didn't know the history. And I'm just petting this back or petting this dog and strike some part of the dog's back or something, and it tenses up and lunges for me. And mm. like I felt its breath on my face. I see its oh my jaws God. coming at me. And <laughs> luckily my my brother is right there. He grabs me by the collar of the neck and pulls me backwards as this thing snaps down in front of me and like misses my nose by millimeters. Mm. And it it freaked the heck out of me. But <laughs> it was it was such this weird thing that I like I always remember that, but it didn't leave any kind of lasting fear or distrust of dogs in general like it was just it seemed so specific because of this one kind of like freaking mm. thing like i was like well if i ever saw that dog again i would be careful but <laughs> like it, it i guess blessedly it didn't kind of like scar me against the animals in general because i i have dogs now i love them but I, I certainly am aware of the danger they can be and that was something i was very careful when i had a child of my own and made sure that he knew like the way you the way you treat them and the way you like approach them and everything like that to be careful. So I, I definitely grew cautious, but never had a kind of like like latent or like lasting fear or anxiety. But definitely, I mean, yeah, it, it is a common it is a common fear that they're playing with this like fear, like a, a dog like that of that breed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they don't have to show anything. Well, they couldn't because it was a TV movie, but just the sounds of the growls and her screaming. And it's enough mm. that Bubba smashes through the fence. He just like rushes in there like this giant and, and takes action. Yeah, he's a big guy. You know what I mean? Larry mm-hmm. Drake's a, a big dude. So yeah, he busts the fence down and goes in there. And he's he, like he's said, from Lenny Small's cloth. He's definitely like the, <laughs> type of like the, the gentle giant type of thing. Oh, yeah. Sort of like the, yeah, he's completely know, harmless. And that's, yeah, that's right. He's so harmless. And you can see that right from the beginning that it makes it even stranger that they would hate him. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of what happened to the dog, you know, I think it's very effective that they let the screen, even though afterwards we didn't see Baba rescuing her. Uh, you hear the screams for oh. a couple more seconds yeah. off camera, and you don't know what's happening. But it, but it, uh, you know, the way it sounds is that Bubba's too late, and mm-hmm. that that disturbed me because um, I saw where it was going. Then even as a kid, I saw okay, he's going to be blamed mm-hmm. for her death. Uh, but then you know, of course, uh, that did not happen. But I think that that's another effective, uh, you know, that's another mark in their favor, you know, to, yeah. to add to the horror. Yeah, so then uh, good old postman Otis, he, uh, him and his uh, three buddies, uh, they're going to take matters into their own hands because, you know, the whole town's blaming Bubba for her death because that's the easy way out, I guess. And then, uh, you know, they uh, track him down to his house and they have an encounter with his mother. And uh, since then, he's, you know, Bubba's made his way home and his mother said, you know, we're going to hide you because she knows, you know, they, they've been picking on him and, you know, beating him up and bullying him and being terrible towards him. So she knows they're coming. So. You know, that scene was kind of funny, though, when she kind of tells the four of them off. I like her. She's a pretty good character. Yeah, <laughs> she has a great line. He says, uh, what does Otis Hazelrig says? He says, um, 
This is uh, official. We've come for him. This is official. And she says, the only official thing you've ever done is lick stamps. Now get <laughs> off my property. <laughs> Great line. Uh, she's awesome. Yeah. But again, maybe sort of foreshadowing the thing, like when she says, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything to that girl or something. You know, he said, you know, I think it's Otis who says something like, "He's thirty-six. He's mature enough, enough or whatever." Like implying yeah. that it might have been a sexual assault or something like that that got out of hand or something without saying anything like that. But uh, so mm-hmm. definitely that, that was something that came to his mind. So. Yeah, and then yeah. they have some I bloodhounds, think... right? And they track them down. Oh, Ooh, and, some more and dogs. Crucially, yeah. crucially in this case, the fact that like this this report apparently went out over the town radio that the the sheriff was looking to deputize a lynch mob <laughs> or something like that, because that is going to be what eventually gets them off of from the grand jury. But or they don't mm-hmm. even see the grand jury, but like the, the just the judge, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I think, uh, you know, that could also explain why he acted so murderously right from the get go. Otis did is the fact that, you know, he did fully. I mean, not only that Baba killed a child. I mean, we learned that he probably doesn't care about children, doesn't care about the well-being of the community. It's probably that, you know, Baba killed and now he's got a reason to kill Baba, but also that Baba killed, you know, the girl that sort of uh, fascinated him. Mm. And um, and the the fact that he's got such a strong personality that he lords over his three cronies that they mm-hmm. would immediately follow him and then also become murderous, you know, shows that he is not only dangerous alone, but he's like one of those people that that Stephen King also excels at writing that that he could cause, you know, evil in others to come forth. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about yeah. uh, the novels like uh, The Dead Zone, and you know, they they have characters like that. So. You know, um, we learned that he's got this kind of grip on on his friends. Yeah. And uh, that's even scarier. So he drives them to murder. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they they find him out in a field dressed up as a scarecrow because they have these dogs that have his scent. And, you know, they shoot him. What do they say? Twenty one times eventually. It's like, yeah, whoa. Like yeah. Damn. Wow. Well, they, Overkill. Yeah, they... And he has, of course, he has the burlap sack covering him, but you see Hazel Rig like looking up close, and you just see Bubba's eyes, his petrified, shaking eyes, yeah, underneath this hat, and that's like the last time you see the eyes. And he just backs up, and they they're pointing the gun, and you just hear like this this crow cawing in the background. It's like that sound just triggers them. They all unload and open fire, mm. um, and then they're just left in the stillness and such this this beautiful like moment is after that happens like you get the wind kick up and like the storm starts coming through and blowing it's like Mm -hmm. we know that we have we have broken like some some natural law of confidence or no 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 that happens after the frame up sorry sorry i'm jumping ahead Mm -hmm. because because after they kill him then the call comes out over the radio and they're like hey guys the girl's gonna live she's fine oh by the way it wasn't that guy who attacked her it was a dog and bubba saved her uh-huh. <laughs> oh we don't have up <laughs> yeah. yeah now this is a pretty flimsy way to 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 make bubba seem as if he attacked them by just putting a pitchfork in the scarecrow's hand <laughs> i don't know right, i've he's seen still, he's I still think... tied to this <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I mean the, the cops. They don't probably don't have a detective over there or anybody. No, no, no yeah, small no town way. sheriff who's been elected. Mm. So they probably didn't do a lot of investigating there because it, I mean a fool could have seen that there's no way he could have attacked them. 
or oh. tried to t attack them even even like mm -hmm. character witnesses you know they might must have vouched for old baba i mean after he saved the girl and that's been proven as a fact mm -hmm. they still think he attacked these men who were pursuing him by the way you know mm -hmm. so it would have been self-defense in any way i don't know how they got off i mean the judge must be in cahoots or something with them or knew their dads who knows well, yeah, I think when you look at the townspeople, you know, because these men get acquitted and other than Bubba's mom, all the townspeople are like, yay, they got away with it. And it's like, what? But you get the impression they're all buddies and friends and, you know. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, well, the judge tells the, D, the DA is the one person like speaking the, the facts on that we know, like talking logically. It's like they outnumbered him four to one. He had a pitchfork. They had rifles and shotguns. Mm -hmm. It's like he was like, like, what were they going to do? Or like, what what could he have possibly done that would put them into fear that they had to shoot him that many times? And the guy's like, well, you know, they were deputized. The last thing that they heard was the sheriff wanted this guy killed. So they were just acting under the authority that they believed they had. And the judge is like, well, you know, you don't have any other evidence to, to back that up. And these are upstanding men of the community. So, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. even go to trial. They're just instantly freed and everything. And it's total BS. But yeah, I, again, like get, jumping back to that point, like when they hear that, you know, that they're all at that moment where they realize what they've done out in the field and they could have they could have ended it right there they could have come clean they could have confessed they could have called the cop but but otis grabs a pitchfork and it's like this is what we're gonna do this is our story he attacked us we were in self-defense and mm -hmm. that's when the clouds come over the sun and it start, the wind starts to howl and mm -hmm. the, the field gets blown and you're like all right god is angry you've you've broken the the natural <laughs> and that's the first sign that some supernatural crap is going to come down on these guys um, yeah. and it's just like a beautiful sense of foreshadowing and foreboding yeah so they get away with it and then they go party afterwards i'm like look at these guys like man you would think you'd just kind of like be quiet and go away and shrink down nope not these guys they're partying and acting like you know they're, uh, you know, it's nothing can stop them. Like they're indestructible. I'm like, wow. But we, do, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, we get, we get not one, but two people basically calling them out. We get Bubba's mother mm. in the courtroom that there are other kinds of justice. Uh -huh. And then the DA, Sam, who's basically like, I will bring you guys down somehow. So one shred of evidence. He says, yeah. if I find it, I'll see you all on death row. Yep. Right. <laughs> so when, bad stuff starts befalling the characters you have logical suspects that might be targeting them which otis is smart enough to realize and i think mm -hmm. that's just a great bit of characterization and it it shows that even the villains they're smart they're like okay who would want to come who would want to kill us for what we did mm -hmm. and he, he <laughs> lashes back so yeah yeah and then who yeah. is it first up is it harless is he the first one that uh he ends up seeing a scarecrow out in his field mm -hmm. and of course he thinks it's a uh, the other two guys, uh, Philby mm -hmm. and Skeeter, that are, you know, screwing with them. And he goes and confronts them. They're like, dude, it's not us. <laughs> but again, I just I like the setup because he's just out. He's working on his tractor or something like that or on this machine. Mm -hmm. um, and his wife is just talking to him about some stuff. And she's looking out in the field. And we don't know what she's looking at. But she's like, have you started planning or anything like that? And he's like, what the, are you, stupid woman? Have you ever seen me plant this time of year? <laughs> so then she's like, well, why did you hang up a scarecrow? And mm -hmm. He's like, like it stops him cold, like like the blood runs out of his face. And he's like, yep. what did you say? He looks out there and we just see from his POV. So it's it's a distant shot yeah. of just this lone scarecrow in the middle of this field. And it's nothing. It's like, <laughs> that's why, because like, I mean, 
it's broad daylight. Usually you think of horror happening in the dark, the dark night of the scarecrow is like, mm-hmm. on the, like that's the thing you wouldn't think of something horrible and scary happening at high noon, but it does in this case. And that little detail is like, who something bad is going to happen to this dude. He's like, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just a, this like wonderful setup that you could get away with. Like, because there's no gore. It's a, this wonderful TV movie thing. I've, mm-hmm. I've, thought about that i was like if this got remade you know you could do a lot more with the pacing and the structure and everything but i was like because of the limits of the tv thing like it wasn't overly gory so they built the horror through suspense and dread mm-hmm. without and just like the, the pacing the structure was very kind of meticulous so i was like i don't know if you could make this better if you just if you gave it a bigger budget and more time i was like i don't know that it would be better so. i don't think it would be yeah, I doubt it. There's just so many elements that work here. Now, it could be that they planned it all out, or since, you know, the director is not really known for directing, I would say he might have just uh, found the perfect, I don't know, he might have just been in a groove, you know, and then uh, got lucky at times. But obviously, it's also his own sense of horror and, and, and pacing and stuff like that. But yeah, I think this movie just just fell together, <laughs> you know, kind of like you rattle a bag full of parts and then you get like an iPad out of it or something because <laughs> really this movie works on all fronts and it's strange that someone who's not experienced would would uh, well it's, it might not be strange I mean but um, it's happened before but mm-hmm. um, it's very effective for for a first time director to produce something like this and you know it could have conceivably have screened in theaters I, it's that good for me at least um, I I might have enjoyed it much more than any special effects driven movies uh, because there's hardly any effects you know in this um movie mm-hmm. it's just the the suspense that's all that they're yeah. building and yeah. um so that's another thing i mean horror fans sort of gravitate towards either you have to have these great practical special effects or you have to have no effects at all and just set up the the horror uh mm-hmm. set up the ambiance and this movie does definitely does the latter uh almost perfectly yeah so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a winner in that in that sense and then you know the way the actors you know portray the the incre- the incredulity of the whole situation of having the scarecrow and and you know the terror that they immediately feel. Um, okay, they're probably a superstitious lot too. You know, small town folk usually are, mm-hmm. but uh, they they go for the the rational explanation first. You know, like it's a prank, and then they think it's the DA who's messing with them, <laughs> which would have been cool. You know, if I was the DA, I would have definitely have tried to, to freak them out. <laughs> Because you you, you want to keep them on their toes, right? You want to keep them kind of, um, you know, uh, you don't want them to forget and think they, they got away with it scot-free. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they go for the plausible explanations first, of course, like any normal human would do. Sure. And then eventually it just starts to to go out of control because they start to realize there are no any explanations left. And uh, we already knew this from the beginning, but you're not quite sure yet, you know, yeah, what's we'll- happening here. We'll get to there's one part in this movie where I think, yep, now, you know, something's you know definitely up, even if it was, you know, you put yourself in the movie. But yeah, poor Harless, man, he comes home then after they're out boozing when the other guys say that they weren't the ones to put the scarecrow in his yard. And then uh, he, he sees somebody. Oh, no, that his wood chipper turns on in mm. the barn. So he goes in the barn to be like, what's going on? And he thinks it's that D.A. guy. And he's like, I think his name's Sam. He's like, Sam. You know, knock it off. I know it's you. And he goes up to the uh, upper level there because you can hear somebody up there. And of course, again, we don't know who it is and you don't see anyone. So 
hey, it could be Sam or whoever. And then uh, <laughs> with the wood chipper running, <laughs> he's, he gets a little too close to the edge. And then <laughs> what happens then? Oof. Plummets into the wood chipper. And then, you know, I don't know if you guys uh, had the same feeling or sense, but, you know, earlier, just before his death, he was cleaning out the wood chipper in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And then I, him sticking his hand in that wood chipper <laughs> to clean it, I already had this premonition of, okay, obviously I knew that's how he was going to die because I saw it as a kid, but I just thought, you know, that's that's like a setup. Why would he put the wood chipper there, <laughs> you know, the director or whoever? You know, this is like, um, uh, you know, showing, uh, foreshadowing his death um, with mm-hmm. this very machine that he's so meticulously cleaning. Mm-hmm. And uh, now this this scene, I wouldn't have minded if they sort of just showed some splatter on the wall or something. <laughs> they, they didn't need to show the actual, you know, person going in, but they, they could have shown just like, you know, the, 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 the end of the wood chipper just shooting out the chips or the dust where it normally comes out of. They could have shown this blood splatter on the wall. I would have or loved an, that. Or an eyeball. Hey, 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 hey don't go there, man. Hey, what, are you, what are you talking about? Is this Jello? I don't think this is a Jello movie last time I looked. Mario Bava direct this? Give him some pointers? No way. <laughs> and again, doing the, the classic trope of like we're keeping the monster off screen. We're letting mm-hmm. the mind fill in the blanks. We don't see anything. Yeah. He, for all we know, he does not get pushed. He stumbles because he's distracted by the sound, but mm-hmm. something drive like brings him up into the rafters, and something turns on the wood chipper, and then something turns off, and that's the way they know it wasn't. He wasn't an accident, like where he just got drunk and fell in. When they had to be suspicious, it's like the thing wasn't running when his body, well, what was remained of it, was found. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because it ran out of gas, because the gas was still full. So they're like, somebody else was there. Somebody else yeah. did this to him. And that's when they start freaking out and suspecting. Yeah, for real. It's just like, well, and then, you know, like you said to Otis, he eventually goes, like, completely off the deep end. You know, he, he keeps it together more than the other three guys, but eventually he goes off the deep end. But, you know, he uh, right away then thinks, oh, well, maybe it's Bubba's mom. So he goes to deliver them, <laughs> deliver the mail to Mrs. Ritter's house and kind of confronts her and says, uh, you know, hey, enough is enough. You know, your son's dead and now my you know, friend is dead. So let's call it even. And, you know, she has some words for him there, too. I like that scene quite a bit. Yeah, there's another form of justice that's coming for you. She also shouted something <laughs> to that effect in the in the courtroom when she was mm-hmm. forcibly removed <laughs> so you know uh, yeah that that was an effective scene you could see him him already like behaving uh crazily here otis mm-hmm. because he's been now provoked uh into having to survive and now mm-hmm. he's uh, we already know he's murderous and he's evil now he's uh, gonna now there's no limits to what he might do to save his own skin yeah and uh, there literally is no one else uh, unless you count the da <laughs> you know because the mm-hmm. characters that have been introduced to us so far you know, are owning now who who would want vengeance for Baba, the little girl, um, you know, so if they set her up to be the murderer, it would have been just, it would have been insane. So no, they can't go there. The right. old lady, <laughs> you know, so you kind of feel now there is something supernatural going on, but not quite yet because they haven't shown anything supernatural yet, you know? Yeah, uh, you didn't get any kind of indication of any, like you heard a noise when Harless went up to the rafters there before he fell into the wood chipper. But again, you didn't really see or hear anything like it could be a raccoon for all, you know, you have no clue there. You know what I mean? You, you really don't know. But this next one, you know, we see uh, 
the guy working at the the grain place there with the silos of grain, uh, Philby, and uh, he's closing up there one night. Oh, I'm sorry, but he sees a scarecrow out in the field as well, and then he confronts you know, Otis and the other guy about it. Is like, hey, something's going on. Somebody knows, you know, this and that. But you know, uh, he gets his in the end too. You know, we'll see that in a little bit too. But yeah, poor Mrs. Ritter, because after uh, uh, Philby gets his, I think that's when uh, Otis goes to visit her again, isn't it? Uh, it's yeah. after after Philby sees the scarecrow and tells tells Ritter that he's like okay, he believing that it's her. He's like she's not stopping. She's targeting him next. Mm. So he goes to threaten her, but while threatening her, accidentally scares her to death. She has a cardiac in her apartment, and he freaks out. And you see this brilliant moment where he's so scared that he killed him this time on an accident and this like trail of blood that's following him. So he's running, bolting out of her house, trips and falls, and as he's getting to the door the scream of the kettle whistle on the, on the, yeah. the boiler or whatever, like shocks him back into consciousness and he realizes what's happened. And he's like, I can cover this up. I can take care of it. And he turns on the gas on the stove and blows out the light and everything and just waits for the gas to fill up because she's got a fire boiler. So, and he drives away as uh, the explosion blows up her house and, and mm. takes away any evidence. Probably most of the budget for this TV movie was <laughs> blowing up the house. <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. 90% <laughs> probably. You know, but it's funny, though, we don't see any, um, you know, we don't see the, the long arm of the law entering here at all because there's been a number of suspicious deaths already uh, related to the case, the recent case of, a ma- of, of Bubba getting shot. And then nobody else turns up. You know, it's just uh, left to these, to the remaining murderers to kind of wonder what's happening and kind of be their own detectives and piece together, you know, the mystery of the, the these murders. And, um, you know, so the cast was not very big either. But uh, kind of, you know, um, works for me because you don't want this cast to be big. You don't want an extra party coming in. No. You know, I kind of felt like you keep it in this small group of people and then you slowly whittle them down to to the nub which is going to be otis mm-hmm. and um you know uh, otis is suffering the worst of all of them because he's being tormented he knows something's coming for him mm-hmm. and um, he's struggling he's looking every which way to survive that was fun to see it's kind of like seeing a rat you know in a trap or something a rat that's <laughs> eaten all your food or or gnawed your favorite action figure's head off or something <laughs> not that that any, not that that ever happened this is being very specific yeah. here but no it never well, happened but yeah, yeah o- otis is personality and the, and the strength of his personality the reason that makes him the leader amongst the amongst this group of four guys is also his curse because he sees them unraveling more than him mm. and this eventually informs because like he, he thinks philby is panicking now and then after philby dies and you mentioned that like that where they like the next night he goes back and he sees somebody in like the office or in the, uh, the house or something and it scares him and he tries to drive away but his car is dead he wants to, so he's hiding from something <laughs> and again we never see it but he, he seeks refuge in the grain silo he thinks that'll keep him safe and then the grain silo door is locked and he's trapped there and somebody turns it on and he is slowly buried in grain and that was that I think was the thing that haunted me the most when I was a kid. It was oh, that yeah. idea of being, being trapped in there and then buried alive by Ooh. like the grain or the corn or corn because that well that was the other thing. I grew up in the Midwest in Illinois in like a town that was surrounded by farms all around. So I saw locations like this. This is obviously set further south, but like mm-hmm. cornfields, scarecrows, all the stuff that we see in this like <laughs> in this movie. 
I saw that all around my area. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, same, yeah. But then, yeah. So so once once Philby, then Otis goes to tell Skeeter that Philby's dead too now, and Skeeter panics and and he's like he's like ready to run and turn them in. And now you you see the the weight on Otis is he's like I'm the only one who can keep myself out of jail and. I might have to stop my own friends at this mm-hmm. point from doing something stupid. <clears throat> well, I think too, that scene where uh, the little bit different is it starts to take, you know, the, the, the scary, you know, ramps up even another step from when Harless got killed. Cause again, Harless saw nothing, mm-hmm. but now, now Philby, he sees like a, a shadow, like a figure when it shuts the light out at the office and he tries to get away. And as he's running away at one point, you can see, and you can hear someone walking slowly towards him, and he sees who this is. So he actually saw who his, you know, uh, killer was. So that was, you know, it's like a, they're, they're ramping up the scary a little bit here. But I don't know if any of this is scarier than Otis at that Halloween party. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that my God. That's disturbing. <laughs> yeah. This is when the, the pedophilia really kicks in here. Well, yeah, he chases after after Mary the girl. Lee. And Mary now, Lee. now he... Now, he thinks she knows what's going on because, after all, the old lady's dead, uh, but events are still occurring that are strange. So he wants he now the, the girl is the only link. So he sort of but that's why he seeks her out. But another reason he seeks her out is also probably, you know, for different reasons, for more horrific reasons that we don't want to mm-hmm. con- contemplate. And, you know, once that becomes apparent, because the but at this point in time, the old lady already accused him of being obsessed with with Mary Lee. Yeah. So now it's in your mind. It's in our minds as as, you know. Uh, people watching this movie and that that's very disturbing and then she, he's alone with her in these hallways in the school luckily yeah, that security creepy. guard showed up but yeah. that was very disturbing my only consolation was the fact that mary lee seems to be a quite quite a good little sprinter <laughs> and otis <laughs> is definitely not no. so you know when she ran away from him i was like yeah go go for it he'll never catch her but then you know uh, just just because if you've got kids we've all got kids you you kind of like this is even scarier for you you know, to, yeah, well, to see scenes like this. Yeah, and then that scene too, he's, you know, trying to get out of her, you know, who's doing these things. And uh, she says about how she knows what happened, you know, that they killed Bubba. And she mm. says to him that she's talked to Bubba since he's been killed. And Otis is like, what are you talking about? You can't be talking to him. He's dead. And she goes, I know, like real flippantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that. That really bugs him because now she's sort of a witness, not a witness, but she's a loose end mm-hmm. uh, that needs to be, you know, taken care of. And, uh, you know, you can see him getting physical with her for the first time, it's creepy, uh, grabbing yeah. her. Yeah. So but she definitely provokes him and rightfully so, because she knows she hates him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for taking away her best friend. And we've never even uh, I, I don't think we've mentioned her relationship with Baba. She loved Baba because he was her best friend. The yeah. best friend in the whole world. And she went looking for him after he died. And Mrs. Ritter didn't tell her the truth. She found the truth out herself, but she still convinced herself that he's just hiding. Because apparently that's what Baba told her after he died. Which which would have freaked out most folks, but it kind of <laughs> endeared her more to Mrs. Ritter. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, then she went looking for Baba and she apparently found him. So he's been talking to her. Mm-hmm. And when she, she uh, lets uh, Otis in on this, he starts freaking out even more because now mm-hmm. he's he's faced with two possibities. It could be someone, uh, you know, plain old flesh and blood human 
uh, doing all these dastardly deeds, or it could be the second option, which he which he doesn't want to contemplate. But now it's thrown in his face. But he doesn't want to accept it, you know. So now now he wants to to torture her or, you know, wring the truth out of her. And mm -hmm. uh, now she becomes the focus of his rage, which which is scary. Mm -hmm. But at this point in time, I was well past worrying for her safety because I knew, you know, Baba would not let anything happen to her at this point in time. So <laughs> it took away a little bit of the horror. But as a kid, no, I didn't know what was going on. I was firmly still, okay, she's going to get killed too, just like Miss Ritter. Mm -hmm. That's really what I was thinking because it looked like it was going yeah. that way for a while. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, we get, you know, Skeeter and uh, Otis, you know, and Skeeter's going off the deep end and he thinks, I'm going to the police. I don't care. I'd rather go to prison than be dead. And Otis is like, no way. Maybe it's Bubba. Let's go dig him up. So they go and dig him up. Yeah, well, that's gruesome. Well, also noteworthy at this point, um, Otis has started drinking after that encounter and at the at the Halloween party. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he goes up to the the woman and she's like, oh, she's like, I forgot you don't drink. This punch doesn't have alcohol in. And when she turns her back, he starts drinking the 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 the, <laughs> uh, the spiked version of the punch. Um, and he, then he, we see him with like a flask later on. So his mm -hmm. his own sobriety and his own sanity is now like being been corrupted by this whole process and everything. And we see where that'll drive him to. So yeah, he gets Skeeter. They they decide. Well, he's like, yeah, I'll prove it. That she said Bubba's still alive. Let's check. Let's see if he like the <laughs> coffin because Bubba is the only was the only witness. Bubba was out that was like nobody else would actually know for sure that they did this. So he's like, maybe it is Bubba. Maybe he gains, like is able to convince himself because of the fear and the paranoia and the drinking. So they go to check the the grave. They go to dig up the grave. <laughs> mm -hmm. They dig yeah. it up though, and that's a that's a great scene, isn't it, Herman? I love that scene. Oh, it's a great scene. Well, you never see what they're looking at in the grave, but yes. they get to the point where they look at this rotten rotting corpse. And um, and then uh, even more gruesome death follows because uh, think about it. You're the murderer. You get buried with your victim in the ground. And now there's a supernatural angle to it as well. Well, I'm jumping the gun here. Let's let's explain what happens. Skeeter freaks out, <laughs> you know, even though Baba's corpse is there for, for all to see, he's still not convinced. He knows something's coming for them. So he wants to give himself up and. Mm -hmm. Otis is not having it. So first, Otis sees there's no way to control Skeeter. So this is now a sign of Otis's uh, cunning or his intelligence. He says, just to get Skeeter off of his guard, mm -hmm. he says, okay, I'll go along with whatever you want. And then as soon as Skeeter turns his back, Otis takes a shovel to the back of his head. Oh, bashes in his skull and Man. then he topples him into the open grave. So now think about it. You're buried with your victim, even though both, both of you are dead. But, you know, we know this is a supernatural angle by this time. So, mm -hmm. oh, Skeeter's going to be tormented there forever, <laughs> the dead body of the person he killed, and who's probably not as dead as, as Skeeter would like. Well, Skeeter's dead, but, you know, he's probably <laughs> the same as Baba now. Who knows? So, Otis fills in the grave, and now two people are lying on top of each other in that and grave. Now, it's very disturbing. If you're keeping a scorecard, at this point... Otis has killed three people, <laughs> mm -hmm. Bubba, Bubba's mom and Skeeter, and the Scarecrow, if that's what we're blaming it, has only killed two. So Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's all and, and we know it's going to be a tie <laughs> later on. So, yeah, the Scarecrow actually does not cause all the carnage, you know, that you would think you would just based off of the cover of the, 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 the VHS copy al mm -hmm. alone, you know, like, um, yeah. 
this it looks like the scarecrow is like the, the jeepers creeper scarecrow like rampaging <laughs> through, just count just racking up the bodies but no yeah you're right ryan and that's what makes the movie even more surprising but l more likable i think you mm -hmm. know this movie definitely for that fact because the scarecrow sort of causes the deaths indirectly at, at some point in time at, at least he does skeeters because baba like you say has unraveled because of what's been done to his friends by the scarecrow otis yeah so, yeah otis so it's torture it's mental torture mm -hmm. that that leads to more murder on the part of but at least this time it was directed towards skeeter and not towards mrs ritter so i think uh, deep inside baba's you know what ghostly brain at this point in time he must feel some regret that his actions led to the death of mrs ritter you know because i would have thought mrs ritter would have liked to see the end of Otis and, and, and she wouldn't have, but you know, Baba, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know, you can't control everything of course, but I would have liked to see that, you know, get some revenge, uh, for Mrs. Ritter too, but you know, it didn't happen. Um, still Otis looks like he was going to get away with things there for a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's, uh, you know, buries a uh, Skeeter with Bubba in the cemetery there and gets in the Jeep. And, you know, just the mental stress. And then he's got his flask. So he's half in the bag. So he's swerving around in his mail Jeep, by the way, uh, in the middle of the night and comes upon Mary Lee in the middle of the road and swerves Oof. to not like run her over. And she takes off and he starts chasing her. And that's again, that's another creepy scene, because like if he catches her, you know, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's that yeah. is creepy. Yeah. Yeah, that was disturbing. Yeah. And and the fact that Mary Lee has been known to now go out at nights, you know, mm -hmm. she she climbs out of her window, she mm -hmm. walks around, you know, wherever she wants and she plays with, well, Bubba, a dead guy, a dead guy. Yeah. And now, <laughs> you know, now think about it. The way they set it up is she, it could be, you know, there could be two ways you could interpret this. She she went crazy, too, after her attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the attack on her by the dog and her, losing her best friend. She's mm -hmm. nuts. And she's walking around as not that she might be the murderer, because, you know, at this point in time, I think that's that's definitely not uh, you, you won't believe that if they reveal well, I, that. I mean, at this point, like, I mean, none of the deaths of the other two guys involved them being physically overpowered or oh, yeah, bludgeoned or stabbed or anything. It was mm. all. It was all situational, basically. Yeah. It was like Har mm -hmm. Har Harless was scared. And, like all she would have had to do was turn on a button or press yeah. a, press a button to turn on a machine. Hawker fell to his death, and then yeah. I mean, yeah. with Philby, he he was scared enough. Something spooked him enough to like take high. But again, she could have locked the door behind him and then flipped a switch and turned on the sun. Mm -hmm. So she could have <laughs> been the killer that's not it's out of true yeah. is it within her character that we know well she might be talking to a dead ghost or something or she yeah <laughs> she's got maybe she got same, rabies yeah. from the dog bites or whatever <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean they, they, by the end of it they definitely set it up that she could have been mm -hmm. yeah you never yeah, know because no, yeah, yeah Otis right, starts really waking out but then, yeah. okay, again, so he tackles her in the middle of the field, and he's like, okay, what's going to happen? And then, boom, lights shine up on him. Like, Where are these lights? And it's this tractor threshing machine, machine or something. Yeah, yeah thresher, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the hell you call that machine, but it's freaking scary because it's, yeah. you know, got this huge, like, uh, monster-like mouth that can snap like jaws up front. And in the back, it has these, like, uh, razor-sharp, uh, you know, cutting discs or something that's, yep. like, you know, 
cut up a field, I guess, to get ready for planning or whatever. And man, that is not fun. And <laughs> so, Otis really yeah, starts going nuts. That's the way you want to go and out. Otis, and Otis thinking now thinks, okay, maybe, I mean, his, the only other suspect, and we haven't talked about him because he kind of disappears for the most part, is Sam, the DA. And he's like, Sam, yeah. this isn't what you think. And, you know, he's trying to plead his case. And this is the one part of the movie that I didn't like, and it's, it's bothered me whenever I rewatch it, is we actually see inside the cab of the thresher, the plowing machine, whatever whatever it is, mm-hmm. is we actually see inside of it as the gears are shifting and this thing turns on and starts chasing him. Mm-hmm. And then we know, okay, there's some ghostly supernatural force. And up to this point it was ambiguous enough. And I think it would have been better if we just never saw it inside and we didn't see if somebody or something was driving that or not. I just, mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. like the fact that we saw inside the cab that it was empty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that That's a good point because that would have made the, the final appearance of, uh, uh, the benefactor for, of, of, mm-hmm. of, of the girl, Mary Lou, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it would Mary have made Lee. that more yeah. sinister. Mary Lee, sorry, Mary Lee. Mm-hmm. It would have made it more sinister. Because someone shows up at the end in a scarecrow costume. And if we still don't, if we're still not 100% sure that the deaths were caused by some supernatural means, this would have been even more freaky or eerie because you don't know who it is. It's definitely not Baba because he's, his body's in the grave. Mm-hmm. So if there's no proof it's supernatural, we would still obviously believe the more plausible explanation. This is someone else. Yeah. This is just a murderous scarecrow cro- trolling someone, <laughs> you know, Dressed up as a, you know, uh, that that's a possibility too. But yeah, it may, Ryan, you make a good point there. Yeah, they shouldn't have shown the actual supernatural occurrence because that takes away from the the kind of uh, interpretation that we love to do after the movie's done, and they left us with with uh, you know um, unanswered questions, and then you fill in the gaps. That's kind of half of the fun mm-hmm. of of some movies. You know, when you have to come up with your own explanation for certain events. Here, no, it's been taken away from us, like you say, by a simple shifting of gears mm. by an invisible hand yeah so good point there <laughs> but but that's not the way he dies i was fully as a little kid i was fully expecting to see now the the wood scene but ramped up to the max here <laughs> you know like and i was expecting to see some blood at least some blood splattering on the corn stalks or something <laughs> we did get blood though we did but not the kind that i thought because but, but it's no. very fitting way the way he he then died otis i mean speak on that guys Mm-hmm. Well, he, as he's running through the fields to get away from this machine, he runs right into a scarecrow in the middle of the field, and the scarecrow happens to be holding up a pitchfork. Not just any pitchfork, but the pitchfork that Otis put in the hands of of Bubba, Bubba. in order to frame him <laughs> Ironic. and set him, set him up like that. He, they were mm. fighting defense, so it's that same pitchfork is used against him because it's just held out there aloft and he runs right into it, skewering himself <laughs> and, and coughs up a little bit of blood and then falls over dead. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, and then the machine death. just stops, just stops, shuts down, lights go off. Yeah. Yeah. A fitting mm-hmm. death, you know, the, the, the way it happened, it makes it, 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 it comes full circle. So it's a wonderful, I mean, all the pieces fall, uh, you know, together nicely and I liked it, but but like you say, there's a couple of nitpicks that we have. Still, I didn't really see this ha- playing out like this. You know, it was a very abrupt ending, but uh, you felt it building towards, you know, this is, was already, already the movie, you know, wrapping up. Mm-hmm. But um, I, when I was a kid, I was surprised and I was also, you know, um, happy. I was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ebullient. I was saying, yeah, 
Okay, you know, because Otis had been set up to be such a bastard. Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to see his end, and then you finally did. And it was at the hands of, of Baba the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, impaled on the tines of that pitchfork. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bad way to go out. But, yeah, I, I would have uh, given a bit of an extra blood splatter there, like I mentioned three times already. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, the machine still didn't stop and then just, like, <laughs> runs over went him. over both of them. <laughs> or if he just, yeah, if he, like, is, like, lying on the ground bleeding out and he sees merrily walking away hand in hand with the scarecrow and she's talking it to him like he's Bubba and then the machine just keeps on coming towards <laughs> towards Otis yeah. as he's lying there bleeding out and, and he just can't get away from it. That That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been awesome. <laughs> but the oh, ending yeah. that we got was definitely, you know, the ending that I needed as a kid, I think. I think I, I, I my mind was blown definitely by the whole movie because it, it's like one of those endings where the ending isn't a surprise, but because the whole movie's been building towards this, it is kind of, you know, because you're you're surprised at how much you you get satisfaction, you know, from what what mm-hmm. happens at the end. And that that that's because of the entire movie working together. It's not just because of the ending, because, you know, you you sometimes have those movies where it, it sucks, but you still keep watching it. The, the movie's bad. You keep watching and then the the ending is great. And then you end up loving the movie because the, that's the last thing you remember. Or the last mm-hmm. thing you watched. This is not like that at all. This is like every single little part of the movie from the beginning to end works, and they all fit together as a nice little whole. Right. Um, as as opposed to a movie that's that that, that says great, and then the ending is is, is terrible. And that's yeah. why I think I mean this imprinted on me on such a young age because without being without having all of the blood splatter and the gore because the the made for television format and everything, there were just these images and impressions that like my mind soaked up like this idea of being trapped in a grain silo as somebody who wants to turning it on and killing you that way and you can't get out and and that slow death and that realization is just horrifying or being chased through a cornfield by this killer threshing machine or something and just (laughs) the image like you like we said we don't see the monster until the very end and it's just a guy with a burlap sack over his head but that was enough to make the idea of a scarecrow something kind of terrifying and up to that point like the scarecrow was from wizard of the oz it was the scarecrow was something that sang and danced and twirled around <laughs> yeah but now yeah. i'm like oh gosh the scarecrow can be terrifying and then i read scarecrow in batman comics and then in marvel comics <laughs> now i have this idea of the, yeah the scarecrow is something associated with horror now where it wasn't before but because mm-hmm. of its proximity to this movie i'm like yeah so those were the things that my mind remembered for 20 years after I saw it. And then watching it again, you know, a decade ago, you know, getting watching it on Amazon or something, then I can more fully appreciate the story and the characters as an adult who has studied <laughs> horror literature and these things. And I can see yeah. the way these characters are like, as a story, forgetting these iconic moments just as a story, this is kind of a perfect encapsulation of this type of, you know, dark horror story where bad men do a bad thing and have to suffer righteously for it in like these grisly fashions. And I, again, maybe one of the reasons why I'm thinking, oh, I am comparing it to Stephen King is um, Creepshow 2 basically does the same type of story mm. with the um the cigar store indian that uh the thing oh, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah, mom yeah, and yeah. pop shop that comes mm-hmm. back Old to Chief life. wooden head 
Yeah, would have, mm-hmm. that's, that's right. Like, that's right. Like scalps the guys and everything like that, and targets yeah. the, those three guys. So <laughs> we did see this basically the same type of story, the same type of plot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, this is a plot that's probably been around for a while, but it it works only if you portray it or uh, if you present it effectively. Um, and you know, everybody loves a revenge tale. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we watch it without the supernatural anger or, or the horror angle all the time, death wish, you know, there's, there's been so many, but this one works because of, you know, the, you're not quite sure what's happening. You're, you know, you're, you're left in the dark and that's probably, you know, it gels nicely with the title until the very end where everything is revealed. So. You know, it, it is a satisfying revenge tale and also because of the people involved. I mean, these reprehensible folks taking out bullies, taking out this mentally handicapped person, you, you want them to get their comeuppance and they do. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. And basically, Ryan, what I also got out uh, from what you just said is, so you're saying J.D. Fiegelson did to Scarecrows what Stephen King did to clowns. <laughs> so, <laughs> on the very micro scale for me yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah you yeah. know it's weird that um when you mentioned the scarecrow from dc you know the batman scarecrow i you know because i read him when he was more of a, a comical character you know not even though he always had his fear gas i never saw him as a horror villain because of the way his face looked he looked like a distortion of the scarecrow from uh you know wizard of oz but i never saw him as a horror scarecrow billy and i you know, we we see the scarecrow from Marvel over from Dead of Night more as a horrific figure, mm-hmm. and it's funny because the scarecrow in DC is the evil figure, and the scarecrow from Dead of Night is actually a hero, hero mm-hmm. heroic type of figure. So, it's weird how these, you know, how you just the look of something could could influence you. It's the whole judging a book by its cover kind of argument. And in this, though, I mean, the, throughout with just this burlap sack, the realism of it, this scares me. No matter how benevolent, you know, um, Baba's character is in this one, it scares the heck out of me. I don't care if he's holding the hand of the little girl. That makes it even scarier. Mm-hmm. The fact that she's got this friend at the end that she plays with at night in this field. And now they're playing a new game. What, the chasing game? Yeah. Who are they going to chase? Who are they going to chase down? I think <laughs> or, he's already I mean, mastered that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's already, he's already he's like, graduated. I, I, could take, I could teach you a few lessons, kiddo. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn, yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to learn a lesson of how to placate dogs and make sure they don't attack. <laughs> the, the student has uh, yeah. eclipsed the master in this case. Yeah, you're right. No, it's it's great. So, yeah, I know what you mean there. Um yeah, this 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 movie really. I mean, no wonder it affected all three of us. Maybe in a different way, uh, but it affected us and, like you say, imprinted something there when we were kids. Now, this was not one of my seminal horror movies because I had already watched a lot of horror before this. But this was definitely the first one where I le- realized you don't need blood or blood splatter, even though I just clamored for it. This is just just me being facetious. I you don't need that, you know, to make a great film. And I think this was the very first film that made me realize that you could watch a movie. Now, maybe if I was a budding filmmaker, I would have thought at the time, hey, I could do something like this at at the time, you know, um, but I didn't because I was never like that. I was never thinking in terms of film. But, you know, um, you could on a very low budget, you can create this masterpiece. And I think that's what they did. I I mean, I think so, too. I I think it's it shows a judicious use of character development and plot and just like like the understanding just like how the the human mind how it works 
um, because yeah. you don't need that blood spray. You don't need the gore. You don't need a, a, a CGI monster or something. All it takes to build that sense of fear and dread is a shot of a scarecrow from 200 feet away in a lone <laughs> and a guilty co- and a character with a guilty conscience. That's all it yeah. takes. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. Perfect. Perfectly summed up. Yeah. So guys, definitely, Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to go for a rating here, Billy and Ryan, but it's very high. If I had <clears> to <throat> give it a rating, it would be very high. So, mm-hmm. but we're not doing ratings, but still it's uh, definitely one of my favorite childhood movies and my favorite movies in general. As Ryan and I mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, on, on a previous podcast. So um, a great Halloween film, like Ryan said, you've got Halloween mm. memories associated with this. I don't, but it's a movie that I've watched during my 31 days of horror over the last, what, eight years that I've been doing 31 days of horror. I've watched mm-hmm. this movie at least twice just because it's around, you know, it's lying around mm-hmm. my house. And, uh, you know, during those times. So definitely a great um, movie for anyone who wants to, you know, add that to their horror tally of movies mm-hmm. and yeah and the last thing like charles durning's performance is really really good Oof. i mean he, mm-hmm. he you hate him mm-hmm. you hey you want something awful to happen to this guy he makes you hate he feel he from just this kind of like irrational bigoted monstrous kind of like character to his arrogance and his hubris when he thinks he's gotten away with murder to the 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 way he just kind of like breaks down and, and unravels over the course of time to this like really understated but really creepy dangerous thread that he's holding on to like around this girl um you, you just see the the devolution of this character and what what's going on and yeah in terms of in terms of a postman i mean I, my other podcast is cheers cast right now where i've got Cliff Clavin. <laughs> this can be a little annoying and a little bit crazy sometimes but whew, between the two of them i know who i'm picking <laughs> yeah for sure (laughs) yeah when i think you're right when i think evil mailman you know i think this guy this is the guy that pops up into my head i don't know if other evil mailmen or evil postmen have been done you know uh, but this is the guy i think of Mm -hmm. and uh, and i mean just just from from little evils to big evils the little evils being that he opens the mail and reads people's skin mags or or their (laughs) penthouse you know he does that to 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 murder so he he's evil on all fronts and and he's a postman Mm -hmm. and he's you know uh, that that makes it even more disturbing so yeah you get the you get the impression like that there's something about just like that Maybe it is the voyeur in him, but or maybe it was like the sense of like him wanting some sense of authority that he tries to have. Like he wanted to be a cop and couldn't. Like mm, yeah. he wanted to be the sheriff or something and just like didn't have what it took and everything. So could being be. the postman is the most power he could really have. Like, yeah, yeah, could that's be. a good observation because yeah, now you going back to thinking about if this was a sh- short story by King or even a novel, he would have gone into that definitely. Mm-hmm. Because we're never privy to Otis's thoughts or his history or his past or what shaped him. And I think your interpretation of that is accurate. You know, he wants to be official. He wants to have authority. And he, whatever small shreds of authority he does have, he sort of uses and, um, you know, beyond its uh, parameters. So abuses. Yeah. Um, yeah. He abuses it. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. That's that's Otis's character there in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no, great. Sure. Fantastic fantastic uh, final product here and uh, one that I'm going to rewatch again and again and again over time I never get tired of it really and I want I can't wait until my daughter's of an age where she can watch that with me uh, so far she hasn't <laughs> shown any 
any predilection towards horror, <laughs> which I, you know, she's eight. And by, when I was young, uh, five, at the age of five or six, I was already watching horror movies without my parents' knowledge, of course. But, you know, I, mm -hmm. I was already into it. So I don't think she's going to go that way, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to definitely try. One day when she's older, hey, watch this movie with dad. What do you, what do you mm -hmm. think? <laughs> try some horror This comics. might not be the one, though. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably have to start on the comic book angle. That's the way I started. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe that that'll work. Start her down that road first, for sure. Well, all right, guys. Well, this was great, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you both for being here. So, uh, Ryan, if anybody wants to seek you out, uh, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I am a member often in good standing there. Not always, but uh, <laughs> right, right now, the only show that I'm doing uh, uh, regularly is Cheerscast, which I mentioned, which is my uh, episodic journey through my favorite TV sitcom of all time, Cheers. Um, but I've got a back catalog of podcasts that you can find there uh, from the DC Secret Origins podcast to Batman Nightcast. If horror is your thing and if you're listening mm -hmm. to this podcast, very well might be. Uh, check out Midnight, the podcasting hour. That is a show that I did 31 episodes of covering a lot of DC horror comics, including Swamp Thing, The Phantom Stranger, Dead Man, The Spectre, and a bunch of short stories from Unexpected, House of Secrets, House of Mystery, etc., both of these guys have been wonderful guests on that show in the past. Um, had a lot of fun doing that, but it felt like it was time to wrap that one up. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. If you want to hear more of me, go to the Fire and Water Podcast Network at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And as always, Thanks. thank you very much for for having me on one of your shows because this was a great mm -hmm. discussion. Love oh, the yeah, movie. Always talk about this one. And, yeah. Herm, how about you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. You know, we're all three of us are, I think, on Twitter daily. <laughs> no, no <laughs> pun intended there, Ryan. But, you know, we, we are. We do a lot of Twitter conversations back and forth. We've got a great community there. So you can find me there at Dark Longbox. Our other shows also there at Into Weird. And um, yeah, um, that's that's the only place you can reach me. And then, of course, check out our other shows, which Billy and I do, which is Into the Weird and... Um, uh, we're doing all, you know, all-star squadron in the mm -hmm. form of our a World on Fire cast. But I don't think that's really horror related. <laughs> so, but still, if, you, if you're of a mind to do that, we'd be grateful to do that. So, yeah. And thanks, Billy, again, for having me on as well. I'll be on again soon. I know you've got lots of good Halloween uh, stuff planned. You and I have already recorded a few, but we've still got to record mm. more. You know, this Halloween oh, yeah. is shaping up to be, it's, it's already been a fun one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks again, mate. Yeah, at this point, you would have heard quite a few. And then there was there's still going to be a couple more after this one. This one hopefully will drop mid-October. So then uh, you and I had a, a film discussion that will drop around Halloween about my favorite Vincent Price film. So that will be coming up. And then uh, another surprise one in there, too. So, yeah, big month for October. So, yeah, again, thank you guys for being on. This was great. So uh, I'm going to let you guys get out of here. And then I'll come back up to wrap some things up in a minute. Okay, everybody, that wraps up this episode. I uh, want to thank Herman and Ryan for coming on the show, especially for Ryan doing the intro there as well. Great guy. Um, and instead of, uh, you know, what I had previously said was going to happen for the next episode, um, Herman and I are going to cover uh, the last uh, little bit of the 
Yates and Marty Pasco run on Swamp Thing before we get into Alan Moore. So that's what you're going to hear next up uh, next Friday. And then the Friday after that, uh, another movie uh, review, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my favorite Vincent Price film of all time. So get ready for that one. So take care, everybody.